This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for another edition of Mariners Memories, and today we visit with former Mariners third baseman Jim Presley. Presley played for the Mariners from 1984 to 1989. He finished up his career in 1990 with the Atlanta Braves and 1991 with the San Diego Padres. Presley also was a longtime Major League coach, serving as the hitting coach for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Florida Marlins, Baltimore Orioles, and the Texas Rangers. Also spent some time overseas, just retiring from coaching a year ago. Presley was an all-star for the Mariners in 1986, and that's where we'll start our conversation. Opening day, the Mariners trailing in the ballgame in the bottom of the ninth, and Jim Presley would step to the plate against the California Angels. This is Donnie Moore's game to save if he can, and Mike Witt's game to win if Moore can save it. But the M's trying to have something to say about it here in the bottom of the ninth. The 1-1 pitch on the way to Presley. Swung on and belted deep to left center field. And it goes back. This will fly, fly, fly away. And we are tied at four. Would you believe it? And after tying it in the ninth, Presley would again come to the plate in the tenth with a chance to win the ball game. Mariners a great job to come from behind to tie the score. The Mariners... Have been a good come from behind ball club the last couple of years. Trying to do the same tonight after the Angels took an early 3-0 lead in the first. Force the set. And the 1-2 pitch on the way to Jimmy. Swung on. Well hit ball. Deep to left field. Back she goes. Goodbye baseball. Grand slam. Home run. Jimmy Presley. And the Mariners beat the California Angels. 8-4. Holy smoke. Jimmy Presley ties it in the ninth inning. And he wins it in the bottom of the 10th inning. A grand slam home run by Jimmy Presley. Way out of here to left field. The Mariners defeat the Angels. 8-4 opening night, 1986. Wow, what a night for Jimmy Presley and the Mariners. For an opening night like that, with I guess there was 48, 49,000 people there. and uh, They stayed for the whole thing. and. Uh, it was exciting. It really was. And then, you know, to come around third base and see your teammates standing there on opening night, you know, you don't realize the the impact it has, but it is opening night and it does set the tone for, you know, the first uh, few weeks of the season. And uh, it was exciting that night. It really was. So uh, uh, glad to be a part of it. Well, you mentioned setting the tone and it really set the tone for a great season for you, which ended up being an all-star season in 1986. What are your memories about the All-Star game in particular that year? To be truthful with you, Gary, I, I had hit, I guess, going into, this is just a quick insight to kind of what goes on during a season. I hit about three home runs the first month of the season. And then going into about May, I was really struggling. And Dick Williams was managing. Hmm. And uh, he brought me to the side with Ozzie Burge on it. He goes, hey, you, you need to pick this up. You know, you're I was thinking I was hitting 215 or something with three home runs, and 
and I hit both of those opening night, and he kind of lit a fire up under me like, hey, let's, let's get it going, you know, I'm putting some pressure on you. And, and I just took off from there. And uh, if he didn't do that, you know, there's no telling how long I would have floundered. But you kind of have to stick your nose in it, get it going, figure it out. And uh, I did going into, you know, the, the next two months of the season before the All-Star break and, and just had a great first half. And we won some ball games that first half. And I don't know where we were in the standings at the time, but uh, just kind of carried over uh, all year. I was just... Uh, listening to a highlight of Dave Niehaus calling one of your home runs, and it happened to be a home run where you became the all-time leader in Mariners home runs history. Your 80th home run, you were the Mariners home run king for a time. 1-0 on the way now, swung on and drilled into deep center field. Yeah, moving back, away back, and this ball will fly away! Jimmy Presley has become the all-time Mariner home run king. That is his 80th as a Mariner, and it gets the M's right back in the ball game. They are down. Did you ever get a chance to hear Dave Niehaus and his calls of your home runs? You know what? I've got uh, this to tell you how far this goes back. I got VHS tapes of stuff. <laughs> I don't even I don't even have CDs, but. Uh, I do. I I have played it a few times, and my kids got it out of a couple of times, and they looked at it. But uh, you know, 80 home runs and being a leader, the, the franchise was young, and I, I I couldn't even tell you where I ranked as far as Mariner history is concerned. I mean, you hit a lot of them in '85. You hit 28, and then '86, 27. You followed it with 24. Do you have any favorite home runs in a Mariners uniform? I remembered one in Kaminsky Park. I had hurt my, I had jumped at the bag in the kingdom and, and bruised my heel running, trying to beat out a base hit or whatever. And I, man, I could barely even walk. And I know we flew to Chicago playing the White Sox and uh, Dick Williams goes, well, do you think you can pinch hit? I said, yeah, I'll pinch hit. I said, I'll hobble down to first base, but I'll, I'll do that. And he goes, all right, I'll try not to do it, but if we need you. And we came up and Thigpen was closing the game out. We were down by a run. And uh, he got me, I don't know, 2021. I hit a home run to dead center field off of him and uh, to tie the game up. And I remember some in, uh, you know, off the guys that, that were, you know, the older guys, the uh, Seavers and Clemens and those guys. Uh, my first home run, obviously, remember, I hit it in Boston uh, off of Bob Ojeda. And I remember they had the net up there. They don't have that anymore. But. Mm. Uh, they went over the net, and on the big screen, usually you get your ball back and, you know, you have all that with your first hit and your first home run. But on the big screen, they showed the kids scrambling for the ball and then sprinting down the road getting out of there. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, I was looking at your home run log. I mean, it's I can't imagine the feeling of, in your, in your rookie year in 84, hitting a home run off of Tom Seaver. You know, one of the greatest this game has ever seen, and there you are. Swatting a home run against him, you, you do it a couple times. Yeah, Seaver and Sutton. I mean, yeah, and I tell you what, you with those older guys, if you hit a home run, you and, and back then it was old school. You catch one in the ribs in a heartbeat if you didn't, you know, do the right thing, act the right way. And when I hit the home run off of uh, uh, Seaver, I just ducked my head and was sprinting around the bases. I, you know, I wanted because you don't ever show up a big time big leaguer, Hall of Famer. Uh, older guy like that, and then I think Danny Tartable came up and hit a home run off Tom Seaver the next step bat, and he kind of 
you know, did the bat twirl. And uh, the next at bat, Denny got one in the rear. <laughs> <laughs> so you got Clemens, too, at one point. That had to feel pretty good. Yeah, that was earlier in his career. And, you know, I was involved in the, in the strikeout record when he struck us in Boston that night. And now the fans in a frenzy here at Fenway Park. One more strikeout, and Roger Clemens would set the all-time record for most Ks in a nine-inning game. The windup and the 2-2 pitch, strike three called, and Clemens has the record. Roger Clemens has just set a new Major League record tonight as Bradley is caught looking for the second out of the inning. He has surpassed Nolan Ryan, Steve Carlton, and Tom Seaver as Clemens has struck out his 20th man, and the fans are standing ovation here at Fenway Park in Boston. That was pretty impressive. Now, I will say this. There was the umpire behind the plate after about the sixth, seventh inning. When he realized that this guy was going for a record, that plate got, instead of 17, it was 20, and it was from, you know, shoulder to, to knee. And you bet he did. And he would tell you, hey, you better be hacking. Because, I mean, he, everybody was getting into it. And, and he's trying to go for the record. And Phil Bradley was behind me, and I told Phil, I said, listen, now this is a great story. And this, is, this did happen. I said, uh, I'm going to put it on you because I'm not being the, uh, the record strikeout for this game and be on ESPN for the next 30 years. And uh, I swung at the first pitch. It was about two inches in the other batter's box. Hit a ground ball back to him, and I wanted to raise my arms in victory. And uh, when I turned first base, there were batteries coming at you on the field because they were really wanting that record. That's so great. But it wasn't you. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. <laughs> I went. In, listen, I went into my two-strike approach, which I never had a two-strike approach until that night from the on-deck circle. All right, I was not going to be that guy that was punching out. Yeah, I wasn't being that guy on ESPN for the next 30 years. How good was he that night? He was pretty awesome. He was throwing a ball hard. It was cold. Uh, Gorman Thomas came up, and I think it was the third inning, and hit a bullet over the green monster to put us up one nothing. And we led that game going into the, you know, later innings. And then they scratched out and I think they had a a, a lead run or two and and then he just kinda started getting loose and he could feel it. And he was throwing the ball really, really hard. Now, you know, back then these guns would you know, he if he was throwing ninety three, ninety four, uh, these guns these days would be ninety six, ninety seven, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he started letting it loose and we just started hacking and everything and i remember ivan calderon going up there and he he swung at three or four pitches and he was done and he just started you know really those last three innings he started turning the dial up a little bit man he was really good i mean let's 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 not after his surgery and he got healthy and and uh i I saw him and faced him a few more times i saw him as a as a coach and he could dominate teams for six or seven innings who's the toughest pitcher you faced you know what? There was. Uh, it's not just one guy. There's. There's probably ten or fifteen guys that I didn't like to face. I mean, but you know the one that I really didn't like to face. And I told Dick Williams this one day. We're playing in Cleveland, and the knuckleball guys I really didn't like facing. But Huff I didn't mind. Uh, Necro I didn't mind. But there was one guy, Tom Candiotti. I could not. And uh, I think I punched out six times in a row because he would throw curveball. He would throw a fastball too. You know, get you two o one o three one, and he would, 
or get your head and start throwing that fastball in there on you, and it looked like it was 92 miles an hour, and it was really 87. But mm-hmm. I told Dick Williams uh, when I found out Candy Otto was pitching the next day, I said, hey, Skip, you might want to let me have a day off tomorrow and just pinch hit if you want to. And he was going, why is that? You can't play tomorrow? And I said, well, just look the stats up with Candy Otto. And he comes back the, before our game, and he goes, yeah, you'll have the day off tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> What what was it like playing for Dick Williams? I love playing for Dick Williams. Dick Williams was a, I mean, he was he was old school, hard nosed. You perform, and and like I said, my second year, he he lit a fire up under me, and we had our triple in, I think it was Calgary then. And he said, hey, if you don't, I'm gonna give you about three or four days. If you don't figure it out, you're gonna be sitting over here with me, and after that, you're gonna be sitting in triple A, hmm. and. He knew it's how you react to Dick Williams. And either you take it and you run with it and you say, okay, here it is. I got to, I got to start doing the job or you shrivel up and, you know, say, I don't want to play anymore, trade me or whatever. I like that in him. Now he never said anything unless it was bad. If he didn't say anything to you, if he wasn't saying anything to you, then you're okay. Hmm. And I like that. I mean, he was hard nosed, man. He really was. And, and he would jaw at you and get you on the bus and, you know, give you a hard time. And, and, uh, you, you kind of, you kind of knew when you need to, Hey, I, I might want to pick this up, get this guy off my back. But I loved it. I loved him. I loved playing for him. And I always said there were two managers that were the best in the game. Bobby Cox, I played for him with Atlanta. He is number one and Dick Williams is number two. Those two guys knew the game better than anybody I've ever, ever been around. Tell me more about playing for Bobby Cox. Let me tell you what, Bobby Cox, National League, there's a whole lot more strategy, strategy and, mm-hmm. and Dick Williams is in the National League too for a while. And you, he would tell you, if you didn't play that day, he would go, hey, Press, I want you, uh, th- this is how advanced he was. He, we'd be two innings ahead. He'd go, hey, I want you to stand up here with me. I want you to get your back, get your helmet on, because I want to get their bullpen up, and I, I want to use that those arms up as much as we can, and Gladwin was pitching, and he goes, hey, if he gets up to bat, I want you to stand here, but I'm going to use a left-hander because I want to match up left and right. And he says, now, two innings later, he's going to come up, and then I want you in the back, and I don't want them to see you with a helmet on or a bat or anything. He would always mess with the other manager and show you kind of just kind of mess you up of, okay, what's he going to do over there? And he knew how to handle a team and a pitching staff and handle the other team because he wanted the best matchup he could that last four or five innings. And he was a good guy. He, you know, you, you love playing for him because hey, he didn't put up with no stuff either. If you didn't do the job, hey, we're going to find somebody else. I, I love playing for him too. I had a really good year in Atlanta, and then that heat got to me in August and just wore me out. But uh, I loved it there too. Like I said, best two managers I ever I played for was – Bobby Cox and, and Dick Williams. When you think about your days playing for the Mariners, uh, what are your fondest memories? You know, I played for some some really good people, played with some really, really good players. We just, you know, we had Mike Moore and Mark Langston. We just didn't have that to, to win, you know, obviously in the, in, the, in the big leagues. It doesn't matter if you're an American or national. you got to have that pitching. you got to have that bullpen. you got to have that seventh, eighth, and ninth guy. And we were just, we fell short in that department. Now, we had some great players. I mean, when when you can run Harold Reynolds and Mike Owen and Alvin Davis and 
Phil Bradley, and then Ken Griffey Jr. was coming. I mean, you just had some some great players uh, as far as swinging the bat and defensively and stuff like that. But our pitching staff was a little short. I'm just going to be truthful with you. Well, you mentioned Ken Griffey Jr. You were there for his first year as a Mariner, 19-year-old Ken Griffey Jr. What do you remember about playing with the teenage Ken Griffey Jr.? You could tell this kid was going to be a superstar. I mean, he's 18 and years old, and he's hitting the ball as far as and hard as anybody on that field. And at certain times on the when we start the season, I would always say, hey, this kid is the best player on both teams, and he's the best player on the field right now. Hmm. That's how good this kid was. I mean, he could do it all, and uh, he just had fun, really could swing the bat, could really run, could really defend, could really throw. I mean, he could do it all. And I, you know, you, you don't realize, yeah, he was the number one draft pick, Man, you're talking about some kind of player uh, as a 19-year-old. And then you could tell he was just going to mature and get bigger and stronger and uh, just be a great player. And, and he's one of the best players I've ever seen on the baseball field. And I've, I've been around that a long time, you know, playing and coaching. And uh, that's, that's a big feat to say when you say he's one of the, the top three players I've ever seen. Yeah. You mentioned your coaching career a couple times. You were with Arizona and uh, the Marlins and Baltimore and Texas. D- did you know that coaching was always going to be a path when you were playing? You know what? I, I didn't know it was going to last as long as it did. I, I had quit playing, and I went back to school, and I spent about, uh, I don't know, a year and a half just, you know, after playing, and then I went to work with Arizona right away after them and Tampa Bay got their franchises. So uh, I jumped right into coaching a year and a half after I quit playing, and did that it was it was neat watching an organization being built like this mm-hmm. and you know we had the scout we had to get minor league teams going and then you had the uh, uh the expansion draft which was really you know kind of interesting and exciting and uh you know we we started playing in the big leagues in the national league in 98 and we were in the playoffs in 99 because we went and got randy johnson and those kind of guys what did you like most about coaching the, the players uh get to know them the relationships uh, as a as a player, you you know you want to get the playoffs and all that. And as a coach, I got I got in the playoffs more than I did, uh, you know, ever playing. But <laughs> the coaching end of it is a lot more specific. You know, I, I was a hitting coach all my career, but uh, it was all about getting to the playoffs, and you never know what's going to happen, and getting to the World Series and trying to win the World Series. And we did that in Arizona. We got beat by a home run and by. Todd Pratt in New York. We should have beat them. those guys. We should have went on. And then when I was in Baltimore, we got in there a couple of times and got to the American League Championship and, and I mean, divisionals and, uh, and the American League Championship with the Royals, and they just absolutely wore us out in, in 14. But uh, the relationships that you built with players over the years, the game, you kind of, as a coach, you've done all you can. It's just up to those guys to perform. But um, that's what I miss is, is the is the relationships with players. Are you still involved in the game right now? You know what? I just retired last year at age 58, and um, I, do, I would I would get back into it. I went and started coaching. I coached the minor leagues in, in 16, 17. I went over to Taiwan. I wanted to go to Asia mm. and see what that was like, and I did that, and I really enjoyed that. So. Um, no, I'd like to get back into it at, at some point. 
you know, maybe not as a, a full-time coach or doing anything like that, but there's, you know, I've, I was around in a long time and, and, uh, you never know, uh, you know, I'm 58 years old, but I'm in pretty good shape. I stayed in shape. My body is in good shape because I didn't, didn't have that many bad injuries, but, uh, you know, yeah, I'd like to get back into it maybe. So you had a chance to play with Tony Gwynn in your last season. What was it like just be, being around Tony Gwynn your final year? Let me tell you about that. I, I always tell stories as far as a hitting coach is concerned that Tony Gwynn hit 340, and so I would tell him he didn't hit every ball on the nose now. This kid could run. He could run. He could defend. He could throw. I mean, he could do it all like a King Griffey Jr., not to that level, but – I would always say Tony Gwynn did not hit a line drive every time he got a base hit. He'd hit a three-hopper up the middle, make the shortstop go get it, and beat it out. Mm. He'd hit a hopper you know, to the second baseman, he'd beat it out. He'd hit a jam shot over the shortstop's head, just barely got it through there, and, and base hit. But he hit it just enough on the barrel to get it through the infield or get it by or make a guy go get it. And then he would hit his rockets, you know, after that. But you're talking about a great hitter. Man, he would stay inside the ball with that 33-inch bat and uh, really handle the bat, hit the ball the other way, inside out the ball. Man, I'm looking at the year that you played with him. I mean, he struck out 19 times for the season. I mean, his contact was incredible. Yeah, he was great. Hey, man, he was a great hitter. Yeah. Not only that, but he's a great defender now. He could defend and throw and run. You know, he, he was not an athletic body, but he could fly, man. He really could. So this offseason, we had some Mariners virtual events with some fans. And, you know, it's fun. You get a chance to talk to fans. And, I, I, you know, I always ask about their favorite player. And, you know, Edgar Martinez and Ken Griffey Jr. And, and I had a fan I was talking to this, this offseason. And he said, Jim Presley. And his eyes just got wide. And he was so thrilled and reminisced <laughs> about some of the stories, you know, the home runs you hit and whatnot. I mean, what does that mean to you to know – the impact that you had on kids growing up and now when they recall baseball yeah. and, and Jim Presley is the name that they talk about. Listen, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a story that you, you never would even, nobody would even know about it. I like to, to, to hunt and, you know, get outdoors and all that. Well, a good friend of mine, I just got back last week and we were turkey hunting in South Florida and we were driving down the road coming out from hunting that morning. And there was two trucks sitting in the road. Now, this is in the middle of Florida, in the middle of the orange groves, in a town called Wachula. And uh, the guy, my buddy that was driving, he stopped, and he knew one of the guys. Well, he was an orange grove manager of all the groves on, on that road. And he knew the guy, and he worked for an orange grove company, and his name was uh, Ken Whitman. This kid was a draft by the Seattle Mariners back in the 90s, and he was a shortstop. Hmm. Now, he didn't know who I was sitting there in the passenger seat. And I said, really? So you were a shortstop coming up? He goes, yeah. He said, I said, you signed with Seattle? He goes, yeah, I did out of college. And uh, he said, I, I played in, in, in rookie ball, and I, I got hurt, and I played the next year in rookie ball. And he said, when I signed with Seattle, my scout gave me a bat of Jim Presley. I went, he did. <laughs> and he still doesn't know who I am. And my buddy goes, well, that bat that you got from that scout? said, that was his bat. He goes, what? He goes, that's Jim Presley sitting there. 
And he says, you got his, the scout gave you his bat. And I said, yeah. I said, it's a brown C-271, 35-inch. Uh, he goes, how did you know that? I said, I swung it. That was my bat. He goes, no. And he goes, your name is Jim Presley? And he says, I still have that bat in my uh, living room right now in the corner sitting there that I got from a scout when I when I was drafted by Seattle. <laughs> and, he, you know, then his eyes lit up, and he goes, so you're the one that flung that bat. He says, I had to choke up on it. It was so big. So huh. that kind of story, that just happened last week. So, yeah, it was it was exciting when people, you know, I'm almost uh, 60 years old, and you don't realize this kid was probably, uh, you know, 40, 42. But uh, that kind of story just kind of popped up, and I had no idea who he was, and he had no idea that I had played for Seattle. That's a great story. Yeah, that is. I, I, you just don't see that a whole lot. And this kid's got a – this kid, he's a grown man, and uh, – got three kids and lives there in Wachula and, and we're in the middle of orange Grove country in central Florida. And I meet a shortstop that played with Seattle in the minor leagues. And he had a bat of mine. That's amazing. What are the odds of that? That's incredible. What is the odds of that? Yeah. Oh, Jim, this has been really fun. I know I've taken a lot of your time, but we really appreciate no, it. No problem. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was great. No problem. And, hey, good luck with uh, the Mariners, and hopefully they can – good luck to them. I hope they get in the playoffs. Hope they win the division, win the World Series. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.